0: And today in the the modern decentralized IT model, where every business user is adopting and managing their best-of-breed SaaS, uh, IT and security don't really have the full control and visibility into all the changes that are made within these SaaS applications. So for example, business users can start uh, creating different configurations in their own uh, SaaS applications, like I'm a salesperson, I connect Gong to my Salesforce and I'm granted access to read all my opportunity data in order to help optimize my sales processes. Or maybe I connect a calendar to my a mailbox, whether if it's Office 365 or Google Workspace to help schedule a calendar events. Or if I'm a developer, I can plug in a new GitHub integration to help optimize the CICD process. Eventually this creates a lot of interconnectivity between my core SaaS applications and more shadow and third-party vendors that are not precisely the approved vendors that the, that the organization has decided to, to do business with.
1: The Genealogy of Cybersecurity is a new kind of podcast. Here we'll interview notable entrepreneurs, startup advising CISOs, venture capitalists, and more. Our topic? The problems of cybersecurity, new attack surfaces, and innovation across the startup world. Welcome. I'm your cybersecurity analyst, Paul Shomo. My name is Yoni. I'm one of the co-founders
0: and the CEO of Valence. I uh, started focused on helping organizations secure their SaaS applications from uh, various risks, such as third-party integrations, external data shares, and others, uh, by helping identify uh, misconfigurations within core SaaS applications, and then applying based on that automated remediation.
1: You've been in cybersecurity for a long time yourself, though, correct?
0: Yeah, so Valence is my second uh, cybersecurity startup. Before I started a company called the Skate focused on industrial IT cybersecurity. And beforehand, they served for several years in the in Israeli intelligence forces in various uh, cyber-related positions uh, in, in during their military service. And so, been uh, for the last couple of decades in the cybersecurity world. Yeah.
1: Well, congratulations on making innovation sandbox. Congrats. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. So, I really want to. I want to really want to bring the audience in to understand the big picture, how you how your problem sits and how important it is. So, let's say we picture a Fortune 500 company now they have their own cloud infrastructure it's like their cloud infrastructure is likely sitting in google aws azure but they have hundreds of SaaS applications and if it's a fortune 500 sometimes i've heard even thousands like there's a lot of SaaS applications right and in the past the past few years coming through competitions like innovation sandbox we've seen products that just add like a light light level of protection like the posture management uh, directly on these SaaS apps, but when I look at your your materials and your website, it looks like you're saying that there's a large mesh of control points or leakage points between these SaaS apps. Could you kind of describe what you're you've been calling the shadow SaaS to SaaS integrations problem? Yeah, definitely.
0: So I think if we think about the adoption of SaaS, so each business unit within the organization. IT, HR, finance, sales, marketing, development, they each have their own group of SaaS applications, right? Developers have GitHub, IT have Okta, sales has Salesforce, marketing has HubSpot, HR has Workday, and it goes on and goes on. For each one of these applications, we have the business users that are leveraging these apps. And today in the in the modern decentralized IT model, where every business user is adopting and managing their best-of-breed SaaS, uh, IT and security don't really have the full control and visibility into all the changes that are made within these SaaS applications. So for example, business users can start uh, creating different configurations in their own uh, SaaS applications, like I'm a salesperson, I connect Gong to my Salesforce and I'm granted access to read all my opportunity data in order to help optimize my sales processes. Or maybe I connect a calendar to my a mailbox, whether it's Office 365 or Google Workspace, to help schedule a calendar event. Or if I'm a developer, I can plug in a new GitHub integration to help optimize the CICD process. Eventually, this creates a lot of interconnectivity between my core SaaS applications and more shadow and third-party vendors. And also this could prevent, potentially provide very high privilege access in what we used to consider in the past of administrative access to our core data privileges and core SaaS applications. And if we imagine how this builds up within these large organizations and the, their, their, their environments, so we have a network of interconnectivity between these SaaS applications. What's connecting them are either APIs, OAuth, third party integrations, and this type of direct interconnectivity, what the industry calls today more SaaS to SaaS. On top of that, we have external data shares, right? I can share my GitHub repository to the public. I can share a file to on OneDrive, SharePoint, uh, Google Drive, and others. I can also create new external collaborators, right? I can invite third party vendors to have identities within my SaaS applications. Eventually, there are a lot of risk surfaces that can increase in expose the organization to external third-party vendors that are intended to help increase productivity, but could also, of course, increase the risk and increase the opportunity for attackers to perform unauthorized access.
1: So say say someone has some of the older posture management products, things like that, um, they they have some level of visibility into some, some of the SaaS applications, obviously, but do they have a point of visibility or control in the this lateral SaaS-to-SaaS SaaS, uh, uh, flow of data, this lateral SaaS-to-SaaS SaaS integration space that you're kind of talking about?
0: Yeah, so I think if you look at the evolution of SaaS security, the main SaaS security solutions that exist in the industry are Caspi's and cloud access security brokers or identity providers. They're mostly focused on how human users gain access to these SaaS applications. The SaaS has evolved to become from, like, very small and similar applications to uh, more platforms that have complexity built into them. So there are a lot of opportunities for misconfiguration within these platforms. And what most of these uh, uh, more legacy or or, uh, uh, user to SaaS access control solutions like uh, uh, CASB and identity providers focus on is how humans gain access to these SaaS applications. They don't focus on what these SaaS applications are configured to perform, and what third-party vendors have access to them, and what uh, perfo- what activities of users performed within these uh, complex platforms to eventually expose our data and uh, uh, critical information to the outside world. So for example, one of the uh, most famous breaches that we saw over the past couple of years are attacks that were focused on GitHub uh, repositories where what the attackers did is they breached organizations like Hiroku and Travis CI and CI, which are very legitimate vendors that most organizations in the world will trust with access to their a, a code repositories. They breached these organizations, they stole their OAuth tokens and API keys, and they leveraged them in order to gain unauthorized access to GitHub repositories of GitHub customers. So without going uh, through the legitimate access to these core SaaS applications, they were able to get direct access to a, a sensitive data, leveraging the fact that you can't really put an MFA or a strong authentication on a access token or on a, a non-human access to these
1: core SaaS applications. So, th- so this SaaS to SaaS, these shadow connections, these integrations you're talking about, that you 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 already mentioned some data that's going through here. So there's I there's code potentially, there's uh, identity information like. I mean, are there customer details that are being leaked between transverse between SaaS applications? Like like from a, a big picture, if I'm worried about if I'm thinking of a data security and trying to map that to my protection, detection response, what kind of data are we talking about here?
0: It can be everything. Everything is done today in SaaS, right? Uh, it can be information from our Salesforce tenant. So all the customer and business information it can be source code from GitHub repositories, it can be business-related information about the the latest transactions that are being made from our email clients. We see today that a lot of users just install their own email clients on their computers, grant them access because it's more convenient for them to use these email clients, and basically grant a third-party vendor to have access to read and write all their uh, mailbox. Uh, So this grants a lot of high privilege access to third-party vendors that can leverage that to Again, to perform very important and uh, 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 to important tasks and to increase productivity, but on the other hand, of course, can also increase the chances of a, a potential breach and to uh, increase the dependency on our ecosystem of third-party vendors.
1: Application ser- security has supposedly come along a good bit. There's a lot of there's been the shift left in the code. How safe do you feel? Like if you were if you were to just as a commentary point of view, this, the typical SaaS applications. Are they relatively secure? Are they doing like ridiculous things, leaking data? Like what what's the state of that at this time?
0: Yeah, so it's always hard to say. Eventually everybody gets breached. Breached. Even GitHub gets breached directly. Uh, LastPass was breached over the past couple last year a few times. We're seeing major vendors getting uh, hacked. Uh, I think uh, regardless of how strong our application security posture will be, attackers will find ways to gain access to uh, critical information by our vendors and our ecosystem i think uh, the most major the the largest breach that we saw over the past couple of years was probably the soloids campaign and then from there there were multiple uh, cases where these breaches occurred uh, and we saw the attackers realized that we're only as weak as our weakest link yeah. and it's it's easy enough to find somebody that we trust that we shouldn't trust or that we trust that we should trust, but eventually they made some kind of a mistake and it becomes really what we call this mesh of uh, effect uh, that they can influence uh,
1: anybody within that network. These these SaaS applications, pretty much everything is is distributed, it's built with microservices that are talking to each other, even authorization. Now we have identity as a service reaching across a lot of assets. And we talk about a control plane for, I or, or an identity plane, and it sounds linear, it sounds flat. But it, when I listen to you talk, it sounds like it's more like a complicated mesh with a lot of lateral connections in, in like a maze almost. Like, could you kind of describe that flow of identity and where and why that's an issue? Yes, I think uh,
0: today in the modern world we want to automate as much as possible and to digitize as much as possible. as such, we're starting to identify what are the day-to-day manual tasks that teams have to perform and to try to find automation that we can put in place that will help uh, scale these processes. Uh, So what we see today is that uh, uh, when organizations try to leverage things like no-code, low-code, like Workado and Zapier and Microsoft Power Platform, It really helps to scale the business, to define this is a manual task that we don't want to do again, Mm -hmm. so we can programmatically define how that looks like. And they set and forget it using tools in the cloud that have high privilege access across the organization. So in the IT context, maybe that is a user offboarding. I identify that the user is no longer in the HR system. I automatically deprovision it from my IDP. Uh, But to do that, the platform that does that integration or connection needs to read all the users in HR and to be able to add and remove users in my IDP. Uh, So there are a lot of small business aspects that today are required to move and shift towards SaaS and towards automation and towards uh, the digital world. And as such, we're starting to see more and more of these uh, uh, use cases that organizations are utilizing to improve their internal processes. But also to create more of this uh, leak or connection of identities and data sources across the board between all these critical points, because it's not where it's not that we have everything centrally managed within one SaaS application, but we need all these different points to be connected and work together. And whether if it's a human taking data from one place to another or it's an API call that is doing it programmatic, programmatically it doesn't really matter at this point.
1: So you mentioned a few things. IDP mentioned. Um... Okay, so you have identity providers, um, you have software developers, now the rise of dev- DevOps, everyone's becoming a software developer, they're, they're building things out of GitHub. So you have a lot of, in your customers, people building connections, you know, maybe they're coding, they're, doing, they're in DevOps, you have people sharing. So is this is this also getting worse because with the cloud and the digital transformation, everyone's more technical, like, like the typical employee is like doing things to the IT infrastructure that we never saw in the past. Is that kind of part of the problem?
0: Yeah, definitely. I think uh, IT is being decentralized. I don't think IT can block and deny users from adopting their best-of-breed technologies. Uh, I also don't think they should because uh, it blocks innovation and everybody wants to be enablers. Nobody wants to block uh, I think what one of the challenges that we help address with our platform and Valence is that we recognize that IT went through an entire decentralization process, but security teams are still managed in central way, right? They're still centrally managing everything from a, a viewpoint of governance, governance viewpoint. And, and what we help security teams do is decentralize also the remediation process, right? Because if the user in the marketing department is in charge of installing and and deploying their best-of-breed marketing tool, it only makes sense that they will have the best context to help secure these platforms, but you need to work with them and you need to make sure that they're involved, they understand the risk, that they can help influence that uh, risk uh, remediation process. Uh, Because you can't just tell them, no, you can't use it or, uh, or, or just decide for them. You have to ask them before you do take action because otherwise you can break business critical processes and you need to also explain to them that there's a collaboration element here that can really help remediate these
1: risks. I can imagine talking to your centralization, cybersecurity being centralized still and the cloud obviously being decentralized. I can imagine some of your customers before they get a product like yours, they have to secure an attack surface that's Hundreds of SaaS applications. That's got to be overwhelming, considering the amount of configurations and misconfigurations in even a single SaaS application, let alone the hundreds that they they really they really need to secure.
0: Right, definitely. So in most cases, they don't even know what SaaS applications they have. Hmm. Uh, in this case, they know what what is managed by the identity provider or what are the kind of the core SaaS applications. once they start leveraging our platform they suddenly discover oh i didn't know we're using that oh i didn't know we're using that i didn't know this is connected here and it's not only what they're using but interestingly enough we also find a lot of a a failed pocs or legacy solutions nobody needs anymore which is interesting because if you imagine how an evaluation process looks like you test let's say three four vendors you grant them all access because you want to see how they're performing you choose one and you work with it the vast majority of companies in the world never go and offboard these unnecessary vendors, right? Which is common practice. If I a user quits or terminate or we terminate a user, uh, we go and remove all their access to our tenants or to our applications. But when we stop working with a vendor, most teams in the world never go and offboard these vendors, especially if the the organization or the, the department that is onboarding the vendor is the business unit rather than the a security or IQP. Although also security is not uh, always 100
1: percent with that. Uh, in many cases they also have uh, issues with uh, failed offboarding of vendors. That's a, that's an interesting problem that I know people are thinking about. So you're you're obviously securing SaaS applications. You're securing configurations. Um, and there's been there's been product solution categories that have done that before. How much of your product is really Focusing on the communications or the integrations, the shadow connections between SaaS apps and how much is just give you secure uh, lockdown configurations of least privileges and and some control and visibility across the the major touch points of SaaS applications. Like how different are you really from, say, some of the more mature posture management uh, products?
0: Yeah, so the difference uh, between what we're doing and what the more posture management solutions are doing. So we have also posture management capabilities built into the platform. So we look at best practices, security configurations. Have you enabled the right toggles within your SaaS platform to prove its security? Uh, But the main difference is that we go beyond that because of the types of problems that we solve, like uh, files shared externally on Google Drive, OneDrive or SharePoint, or third-party integrations, OAuth, connected applications and third-party apps. Uh, unmanaged identities and other issues that are more tied not only to the administrative changes, which is typically what a posture management solutions do, but also related to the uh, business users and decisions that they make. Uh, The main differentiation that we have compared to other vendors in the space is the ability to help solve the problems. Uh, I think uh, again and again, we've heard from security teams that they want to go beyond visibility, that just seeing a problem is not enough, that they want to be able to remediate and, and solve these risks. And our ability to help really facilitate that remediation process—that can be automated or it can be automatic—it can be at any scale of automation that the organization wants—is a is a game changer in terms of the ability to say, okay, I don't only really see the problem, but now I have not only an increasing graph of risk, but I see also a decreasing graph of
1: risk remediation. Are you more on the say the detection response side, where you're bringing back information? Uh, uh, from points of visibility about what's happening? Or are you more on the protection, you know, let's automate protection, lock things down side? Yeah, so
0: it's a, a little bit of both. So we, we store a lot of the configurations and activity logs, which allow the security teams to visualize and understand what's going on and what what's going on can be, hey, you have a security configuration here that could lead to a breach or, hey, you have this activity here that indicates you may have been breached. So we go both uh, uh, before
1: and after the, the actual breach has occurred. So obviously, you know, as we both referenced, there are products that kind of have attempted to lock down configurations of SaaS. But in terms of a visibility point to see these lateral, you know, SaaS to SaaS shadow connections, I'd imagine most of your customers just have zero visibility there at all. You have to have across these SaaS applications, a pretty robust set of interoperability and APIs that give you the proper visibility and control. Is that relatively mature? And Is that what ends up being the... You know, say Gardner is pushing the, the the cybersecurity mesh architecture. Is in practice that the consequence of that that they're providing you all the APIs you need to do what you do. Like I'm I'm, I'm kind of asking you to explain cyber mesh because people are so terrible at explaining it.
0: Yes, sir. I think there are a lot of meshes today that uh, different uh, teams are pushing. Uh, we're calling problems, some of the problems that we're solving more of the SaaS mesh, okay. and mm-hmm. uh, Gardner I think is referring to the cyber mesh more of the. Uh, the fact that there are a lot so many different security tools that are need to connect to each other to provide the full picture right Uh, and i think uh definitely accurate there are a lot of security tools and we need to work together to be effective what we're seeing in practice is that once you need to jump between different tools and to create that workflow uh, in many cases you can create very simple and straightforward use cases but once you want to go through those complex workflows and to be for example we secure dozens of SaaS applications, right? So for each one of SaaS applications, there's specific workflows to help remediate risks within these SaaS. Uh, now for third-party vendors to start to look and say, okay, I take the data from a posture management tool, and then I collect it to a SOAR or connect it to here and create these types of complex if tests and that, these workflows tend to break. And uh, you can cover, again, basic and, and straightforward type of uh, use cases there, which are great and they're important. Uh, but it creates, it has a glass ceiling in terms of its ability to be efficient over time. Uh, So there's, I think there's still a lot of room for standardization and and common ground to to enable this to be more scalable in terms of a a really effective cyber launch.
1: And we haven't mentioned the, you have, I haven't mentioned the the buzzword supply chain uh, security, which is obviously a big deal. And it it includes a lot of things, includes code security. You know, there's so many components to it, but the third party integration between SaaS, this is kind of a new, I haven't seen someone focus on this. You have to be one of the first to focus on that aspect of supply chain security, correct? Yeah,
0: definitely. So. Uh... Not many companies focus on it. Uh, we actually steered away from uh, supply chain as part of our messaging because I think it confused many people with software supply chain. Yeah. I think they own the term supply chain and uh, we we can't really use it. Uh, but definitely, this is this is modern supply chain. We connect together different SaaS applications that we buy rather than platforms that we build. And it's very similar to dependencies in code, just with complete end-to-end software that we don't manage. Yeah.
1: Good stuff. Thank you for coming on. So how can people find you on the web?
0: Yeah. So LinkedIn is probably the best way. Uh, Yoni Shohet, Y-O-N-I-S-H-O-H-E-T. I'm also on Twitter. LinkedIn is probably the best way.
1: And, and your company's uh, Valence Security's website is valancesecurity.com? Valancesecurity.com. Yeah.
0: valencesecurity.com? Security.com. Yeah. V-A-L-E-N-C-E security.com.
1: Great. Hey, make sure you hit like and then follow or subscribe to the Genealogy of Cybersecurity podcast. Why? Because this show lets you gaze into the future. Seriously, though, security is changing fast. The shift towards cloud and application security came more suddenly than anything seen in our industry's history. But it's not going to settle down. Cybersecurity is going to get a lot crazier with generative AI and automation. The Genealogy of Cybersecurity is where you get first access to the visionaries of building our future from entrepreneurs and technologists to those CISOs and venture capitalists that actually have their hands on the financial levers of future R&D. Here on the Genealogy of Cybersecurity, the future is already here, it's just not evenly distributed.